Welcome into the show. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call and all time zones in between and around the world. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. Thanks for tuning in. News broke yesterday. People have been asking for a long time on an update about the court of arbitration and sport case that Ricardo Silva... And uh, Kingston Stockade, Dennis Crowley, that's Miami FC and Stockade brought before the Court of Arbitration Sport regarding promotion and relegation. And a story came out yesterday that a week ago, the the court convened in New York and uh, and judges heard the appeals from uh, the plaintiffs in this case and Um, Ricardo uh, Silva did an interview and uh, in an Italian uh, news outlet and here are some of the things that were said uh, in terms of an update on the the case and what he's hoping to get out of the case uh, etc he said this American football is at a turning point to continue to be imprisoned by the anachronistic rule of closed championships without promotion and relegation, without appeal and merits, children of millionaire budgets, or to adapt like the whole world to the FIFA regulations and finally respect sporting principles and meritocracy. Last Wednesday in Manhattan, the judges of the uh, TAS of Lausanne met to decide on the appeal of the Italian entrepreneur. So this, this is some of the comments about Ricardo Silva and the case. And uh, so basically now that they have met, they have, they have heard and, and things uh, were presented, uh, the countdown has begun. And, and so um, they, they were able to ask Ricardo Silva some questions and I uh, wanted to kind of cover a, a few of those because I think it's important insight as to motivations and what's really going on. And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this segment uh, in a few minutes uh, with some thoughts, um, my, my thoughts on this whole thing. 
in just a moment. But uh, before we before we get to that, um, I wanted to convey some of the things that Ricardo Silva uh, was asked about. It said, "What will happen in the U.S. if uh, if you win the battle for sports justice?" Um, you know, and and so they they kind of ask a, a series of questions. Um, and, and here are, uh, some of the questions and here are some of the, the answers, uh, they, they asked it, it will therefore no longer be possible for Miami to win the second division has happened in 2017 and not be promoted to the top flight. Why has American football entrenched itself in such an armored and incapable system of development? Do you believe that the lack of a booming football in America depends only on the anti-sports rules of the major league and on its excessive power towards the U.S. Federation? How does FIFA look at the Miami FC appeal? You know, all of these things were kind of thrown at him. And and, and here is some of the uh, responses. Here are some of the answers that, that he was uh, able to give. He said, it will happen that the sporting merit will triumph. The, the first big reason that prompted me to present the appeal in 2017. And it will also happen that football in America will finally have regular championships. As stated in Article 9 of the FIFA regulation, all tournaments must be based on promotions and relegations. And then to decide to play in the fourth series. Disappointed by this injustice, I would add. So what he's saying by the fourth series, what he what he's talking about is after all that's gone on with with American soccer and with the the issues of the NASL and that entire case, Miami FC was playing in the second division and were were not just relegated. They weren't sent down to the third division. Uh, The entire league was dismantled and that left them down in what is not even considered the fourth division. It was actually, it's actually just considered amateur soccer. There is no fourth division in America. So it's, it's a de facto fourth division. uh, And anyone in that level until us soccer actually sanctions a division four can technically claim de facto fourth division status. And so on that note, NPSL, UPSL, uh, USL League Two, the Gulf Coast Premier League, every one of those leagues can claim fourth division status in a de facto setup because there is no fourth division. No one has been crowned fourth division. So because there's only three divisions sanctioned in America, if you play in the amateur space, there is no sanctioning order and you can basically do what you want. Now there is kind of a, a a good old boys view within us adult soccer and within us soccer as to what is considered more higher end closer to a fourth division versus a lower end closer to fifth, sixth, seventh division, but there is no official uh, fourth division. And so, um, that's just a note I want to, I want to make because it, I think that that too is important to understand. Um, winning, uh, winning by us is, is not the same as being promoted. It is more important to have $200 million to register and play the major league. Um, 
if the court of arbitration in sport will prove us right, football in America will flourish again. There are 300 sports clubs that have signed a petition to demand this change from the American Federation. We are not alone in this battle. I think it's above all a cultural problem. Soccer cannot be equated with the sports in the U.S. like baseball, basketball, American football. These disciplines have structures based on the system of the universities that train the players and that, for this reason, do not need promotion and relegation systems. USA football has been copying these disciplines. He's, he's speaking of U.S. soccer for over 20 years without having the university engine as a boost, thus transforming its championships into anti-democratic competitions. An obvious distortion. So he, he, he goes on to elaborate on some of that and, and then picks up here. He talks about FIFA. He said, I have the esteem of President Infantino. That's Gianni Infantino, the president of FIFA. And I believe that he has at heart the respect for the FIFA rules much more than his predecessors. I hope he understood that soccer in the U.S. is really ready to explode and also that if my appeal is rejected and the MLS wins, we will be facing a dangerous precedent and potentially ungovernable situations. Other private leagues could be born around the world. All the more reason football in America must conform to the FIFA rules and get closer to the rest of the world. So he had some some really pointed thoughts on on the court of arbitration and sport case on the merits of the case on you know promotion and 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 relegation and why it matters and the one of the the important uh, points in, in this exchange that he's bringing up is is how important the the principle of promotion and relegation is if you win right now and and i was thinking about this last night i was watching um some of the the uh, las vegas lights versus cal fc u.s open cup match now knowing eric winalda and and knowing his passion for the u.s open cup um i w i was struck by a thought watching the game if Eric and the Las Vegas Lights manage to win the USL championship this year, they will win the USL championship this year. That's it. They don't go up to Major League Soccer. They don't get access to the CONCACAF Champions League. Nothing. However, if the Las Vegas Lights manage to win the U.S. Open Cup, they get a berth into the CONCACAF Champions League. Now think of that. Think about that for a moment. You win your league, a six-month, seven, eight-month tournament. You win your league, and you don't get access to your first division. But if you win the U.S. Open Cup, you get access to the CONCACAF Champions League. If you are a USL team... You really have to ask yourself, what's more important? Is, does it really matter to win the USL championship? Or should we put our eggs in the basket of the, uh, of the U.S. Open Cup to get access to the CONCACAF Champions League? In America, the only way you can kind of prove your worth is in the U.S. Open Cup and then getting into the CONCACAF Champions League. 
you put your money and your time and your resources into the USL, you're wasting your time. All you're going to get is a pat on the back at the end of the season. Hey, great, you won. You're back here again next year. That is that demotivates in such an, an incredible way the um, the the movement of of players, the movement of clubs, the movement of owners, the investment, the resources, the time. All of those things are are moving counter to motivation when you when you basically say, look. You you are going to work. You're going to try to to do something. You're going to get to the end. You're going to get the championship. And oh, by the way, you're here again next year. And even for major league soccer teams, they they get a little bit more of a nugget at the end in terms of access to the Concacaf Champions League by winning MLS. But if you're near the bottom of the league, what are you really worrying about? You're going to be there next year. You're not going anywhere. Where's the motivation? How does the league get better? If you watch the end of the Premier League season this past weekend and over the last few weeks, one of the things that I saw pointed out, and I, and I thought it was it was such a good point to make, the, the open league systems are often criticized by MLS apologists. And they'll say, well, they're top-heavy, and if you're at the bottom, you, you know, you have no chance, and... You know, relegation is absolutely the worst thing in the world, and 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 you know, it's a one-sided league, and all these negative com- uh, comments about the Premier League and other other leagues around the world that are all FIFA compliant, that are that are operating under the principles of promotion and relegation. Well, when you watch these last few weeks, one of the things that that if if you paid any attention to the teams that both Man City and Liverpool were playing. Some of those teams were in relegation battles. Some of those teams had already been relegated, and some of those teams were were barely saved. But wired into their DNA is to fight every week, to compete every week. Technically, Brighton had nothing to play for on Sunday. But they came out of the gate trying to give Man City a game. Why? Because it, they didn't even have to think about it. The system produces that kind of environment. You are wired. You are predisposed to compete always in all ways. It is, it is part of what you do. And so whenever, whenever you are in an open system, it is, it is something that you're constantly dealing with all year long, our clubs in America and these franchises in Major League Soccer, they, they don't understand that component. So it's not just access to more revenue and, and access to the to, to CONCACAF Champions League. It's also tapping into competition on, on a visceral level a level that you can't get away from. The fans feel it. The coaches feel it. The front office feels it. The players feel it. Everyone associated with the club and that community feel the pressure. They feel the intensity. They feel the passion. Everything rises on its own. It's natural. 
It's not manufactured. It's not artificial. It's part of what you do. It's part of who you are. It's in the essence of the structure and system. And and, and, and that system is so important. And and I wanna I wanna close this segment before we bring James on after the break with, with this final thought, and that is this. Ricardo Silva, Rocco Camiso, and others who who have who have put their time, they have put their money, they have put their 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 resources, their talents, their focus, their energy on these legal challenges are not doing this for ego. They are not doing this for selfish gain. An open system means that Miami FC, Ricardo Silva's club in Miami, could play and go down even further. Opening up the system doesn't guarantee him access to the first division as a default. He's going to have to earn it on the field. He's going to have to prove his worth as an owner to get to the first division in an open system. This effort, all of these challenges, these efforts are about you. They're about the clubs in this country. They're about all of American soccer so that all of the clubs that are maybe have this ethnic tradition and, and, and legacy and heritage all over the country have an opportunity to rise and build and grow and represent your culture and your community from where you are. Not what someone else tells you you have to be. It's your club. All of these challenges are about giving every club in, in a state like Alabama or Mississippi or West Virginia or Idaho the opportunity that they can never get right now in U.S. soccer. These guys have been painted as villains within American soccer by the establishment, by the federation, by Major League Soccer. But if you look at the merits of their cases and the, and, and the efforts that they are putting in and the m- amount of money that they are investing so that each of us can have a brighter future, we should thank them, not vilify them. We should help them, not blast them. They are working every day so that every club in America can not only dream, but can build the club of their dreams so that you and I can, can, can go as high as we can take a club. That is something worth celebrating, not something we should be tearing down or trying to destroy. So kudos to Ricardo, kudos to Rocco, kudos to those other gentlemen who who have put their name on the line, their time, their talent, their resources, their finances, energies, their staffs, all of the all of these efforts. Kudos to them for working on behalf of American soccer for finally doing what our federation should have been doing decades ago, and that is being a federation for all. That is what they're working for so that every club has equal opportunity and equal access. And at the end of the day, if we get there, 
world watch out because the American soccer system will explode. It will blow up and we will become a juggernaut that no one will want to face in 5, 10, 15 years from now because of the commercial might and the abundance of resources that would be at our fingertips. So those are my thoughts on on that update and and on that that entire case. I think these uh, these gentlemen should be celebrated and 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 their work should not be lambasted. Instead, I think it we should we should hold it up and and support it um, and and do our best to help. Uh, those 300 clubs that were mentioned is an effort that that I've been working on with with Chris Kessel for quite a while. You can find out more information about that. You can help us get to 500, uh, and and you could do so by going to wrk.mn forward slash letter. Again, that is wrk.mn forward slash letter. You can read it, sign it as a club, join the movement. We are working together all across this country to build an open system, to build a, a, a federation, work towards a federation in U.S. soccer that is FIFA compliant in all things, in all ways, in all areas. When we do so, watch out. So thanks for uh, thanks for, for joining the show. Thanks for tuning in. We have uh, James Myers coming up after the break. Um, really excited to get in into it with him uh, on ballers, culture, etc. Uh, the sponsor today is Charity Water. If you don't know about Charity Water, check them out at charitywater.org. There you can learn more about their work providing clean drinking water to people all over the world. Thanks for tuning in. We will be right back.
Welcome back to the show. We are really excited to have on today James Myers, NTA. James, what is up, my man? How you doing? How you doing, Daniel? Good to be on the show. Hey, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, as I was telling you in the commercial break, a little amped up this morning. Um, you know, I read the 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 news, the update on uh, the cast case uh, regarding promotion relegation and Ricardo right. Silva and all that work. And um, you know, uh, I get I get kind of worked up whenever I look at all these efforts that these guys have been putting in for so long, trying to to get things better. And, uh, you know, it just frustrates me sometimes to, to, to see the, the way these guys are, are treated by the Federation in Major League Soccer. It's just so absurd. So, um, right, especially, especially when you're so close to it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's just, it's crazy. Um, I, I think these guys should be celebrated. We should, when, when Eric, when Alden and I were talking a few months, um, months ago, uh, we were, we were talking about the fact that that it, at the end of all this, you know, Ricardo and Rocco should be on the Mount Rushmore of American soccer when this is all said and done um, for right. for what they're doing for all of American soccer and 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 for people to think that this is this is an ego trip about them is just it's crazy. Um, it, this is about you know all of us and uh, opportunity for all of us. So anyway, um, I want to I want to jump in with you. You are the the mm-hmm. You're a talent scout, ID guy. Um, you're a coach. Uh, you work with SMI Soccer, also with Joga. Um, you you are from England, um, and right. and and so you have a, a really good insight into what is a baller, what is world class, how are the how are those uh, players developed? What do they actually look like? Because those terms, I think, too often get tossed around um right. you know you'll see you'll see one good pass in a major league soccer game they're like that was world class i'm like dude that was like <laughs> what what <laughs> i mean it was a basic pass what are you talking about so um so anyway give give us a little bit of your background for the audience yeah. you know where are you from i mean in england what was your upbringing like and what what about that gave you insight into culture and world-class and ballers and and all of that kind of aspect of, of really seeing the game in a different way right right so um yeah i'm from south london i'm from Croydon, a place in south london where um it's basically uh where i grew up and i've lived most of my life until i moved over to here to the states uh, my parents um are from ghana uh, they moved over there in the uh early 80s I should say um, and then um, I was raised just by my mother after a while and then um, I was just hustling through that environment so basically a typical day would have been um, getting to school early uh, taking public transport from young getting to school early playing soccer going to classes lunchtime playing soccer even forgetting to eat lunch going to classes again and then play, staying after school to play soccer come home, do homework, and then go into soccer practice. So that was that was my life every day, every day. Um, Croydon, yes, is a bit rough. It's one of those areas where um, you have to find your way through and you become friends with a group of guys who you feel that's your family outside of your house. 
and um, you just you, you do you, you do things that you think are cool at that time. And um, as you go older um, and you see friends uh, either incarcerated or dead, you realize the things that you were doing when you were younger weren't cool. So it's, it's one of those areas. But um, a lot of talent comes from those areas. That's the thing, because there's always innovative ways you're trying to figure out to do things with little little money, little resources. So for example, playing on street ball in our in our cul-de-sac, um, in the cracks, there's cracks on the road, you're trying to flick the ball over the so you're learning different techniques, um, playing street ball in those areas and at the same time you're trying to stay street smart because then there's someone from another neighborhood, a group of guys from another neighborhood who don't like your neighborhood and then you have to be aware of that stuff. So I grew up in that kind of environment, which um, I think made me street smart, street wise, but also at the same time um, opened my eyes to a, to a lot of things. So I want to, I want to, before we, before we leave where you grew up, uh, yeah. I, I was, I noticed um, that uh, I think it was this morning a a tweet about uh you know there was this basically a ball device where a training device where you can you can uh have it tethered to your waist and uh i, I believe it, it was a, a mutual friend of ours james uh, brown that, yeah. that tweeted this out and said you know um, maybe you could find a wall close by and there's like this giant yeah. white wall behind uh behind yeah. behind the, the people in the in the picture um and and so environment is something I want to touch on before, before we move on. You, you were mentioning, you know, being on a cul-de-sac, the cracks in, in the road, in the street, in the sidewalks, all those things. What does that do? Because I, I know a lot of times in American soccer, the, the, the thought process has been I have to go to a soccer field to train. I have to go right. to a nice you know, flat surface, perfectly mani- manicured grass or artificial turf in order to do soccer training. What is it right. What is it like to actually be on these other surfaces and why does that help create, you know, a world-class touch or, or the, the, the creativity, the problem-solving uh, aspect of, of some of these incredible players because they are, they are on these you know, different surfaces than a perfectly manicured, you know, flat grass uh, soccer field. Yeah, right. So actually the funny thing in that that, um, sentence you just said, the key word was training, right? We do not use that word when we go outside to play. It's playing outside. You understand what I'm saying? So I'll go home. I'll be at home. I do my homework, eat, whatever. I tell mom, I'm going outside to play. And we take the, the ball with us. You understand? So in our heads, we are not training. At the same time, subconsciously, we are as we're playing on those different surfaces, um, playing with guys that are wearing, they're wearing all different tops, um, types of tops. But how are you supposed to realize who's on your team? That's working on your awareness, right? Then dribbling, dribbling technique is finding through the gaps, trying to avoid cars and things like that. So you're working on your dribbling technique. But at the same time, it's not training. Subconsciously, it is, but really and truly, it's not training, it's just playing outside. Over here, there's a difference between parents saying oh my kid is training outside just allow them to play outside with friends allow them to play on those surfaces allow them to play in your little neighborhood in your little cul-de-sac let them figure it out uh don't be too scared that oh um they shouldn't be playing out here because there's cars around all right cool put them in a 
cold attack area and have them play, let them figure out um, solutions, how to form teams. If they're a downer man, okay, play downer man. You know, all those things happened when we were playing. And and I think that's such a good point, and I'm glad you picked up on that. That is that is an aspect of of American soccer that we lack. That that American that basketball has yes. has definitely nurtured and, and really created a I would say multi generational um, pool of players out of that you know free play culture, the pickup culture, exactly. right of of basketball. Right. Um, and, and you see these kids, I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously playing organized basketball. You you don't go play one year at Duke and then, and, and look like you're going to be the number one pick. And the only thing you ever did was play on the playground. Right. I mean, Zion Williamson is, is a beast, but he, but he's, you can also tell that he, that he's polished. I mean, he's, he's not just a a freak athletically. He can play and he understands the game and he, and he's, been in those environments those i guess what we would call training uh, environments but he's also been in those free play environments you don't do the things he does with a basketball player as a as a basketball player without having free play as part of your culture as part of what you do growing up um right and and during and during that free play during that free play, you um, you figure out. So, for example, you get into arguments. There are no adults there, and you solve those arguments there as well. That's also part of um, development of your mind, right? You, for example, they say it's a foul. You disagree. There's no referee to um, sort it out, right? You two sort it out, and then there's a solution after it. So, it's working and developing the child's mind as well. So, look, look I want to look at a few players in in. One, I want to start off with a player that um, you and I have disagreed on, and yeah. and it, it's it's I'm going to eat not a full bowl of crow, but a little bit of crow in Raheem Sterling. In that, um, I thought when Liverpool sold him that they were robbing the bank uh, for Man City. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't rate him. I'm still not a a big fan of his and it and, and I want to make clear just for everybody watching uh, because a few months ago during the World Cup I got totally blindsided lambasted over my criticism of Sterling as is anything to do other than football it's not it for me this is purely a football thing um I I at the World Cup what that was about was the fact that I felt like Rashford who last I checked doesn't have my skin color, has Raheem Sterling's skin color, should have been playing over Sterling. You and I disagreed on on the value of Sterling uh, in the past. And 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 so my my criticism of Sterling has nothing to do with him personally. He seems like a great guy. None of that. It, it's just it's just a personal thing for me about what I what I value or what I look for in a player, but but I will gladly eat some crow in the fact that he has gotten better uh, under Pep than I thought he would get. Um, I thought he was going to get discarded right away, like Alexi Sanchez uh, was at Barcelona, and um, and 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 he's not. He's he's gotten a, a lot better. Um, right. And and so I, I definitely uh, will eat a little bit of crow on that. Um, but 
Talk to me about Raheem. What makes a player like him be able to deal with those people who are, in fact, judging him based on culture, judging him based on skin color, uh, be able to go out and ball and play and and bring that creativity. Um, and, and the one area where I was critical uh, that he has gotten a lot better with has been some decision-making and, and even touch under pressure has improved under Pep uh, tremendously, even in this last season. Um, what makes that that person, Raheem Sterling, be able to do what he does with all of that other stuff going on. What about his culture and upbringing has, has helped develop him into the player that he is today? In, in brief, he handled pressure at such a young age that anything given now, doing what he loves, is not pressure, if that makes sense. Now, um, initially, the comment, because the, the, we had a disagreement on Twitter because, well, we didn't, I was, we, somebody had a disagreement with you on Twitter and then I was reiterating and confirming stuff. Basically, the use of the word soccer IQ and soccer intelligence when it comes to um, uh, my experience growing up in England was that African players and, and black players were just the peripheral players on the team and that did soccer intelligence, which rubbed us the wrong way. And during our development um it placed us in places where we weren't able to develop even more uh, players like us in the midfield. For example, my first ever team was a predominantly white team and I was either striker or defence depending upon how fast the opposition were. So is that really developing me? Mm, I, I would say no. But um, so someone like him, when people say that, I'm like, wait, wait, wait you have to have some level of intelligence to actually be a pro first. You understand what I'm saying? Now, um, it depends on how the style of play and how he fits in. Um, yeah, so going back to his upbringing, yeah, he's had to handle pressure at a young age. So therefore, anything given right now is not pressure for him. Some may see it as pressure, but he doesn't see it as pressure. Pressure is when um, a, your mom or something can't provide food for you at home or the light goes out and stuff like that. So this little thing, playing on a final, playing in the game, playing in the World Cup, it's not pressure, if that makes sense. That's how he steps up to the um, plate. No, it, it totally makes sense. And and I think it's important. When you, when you turn on a, a TV and you watch a match, you don't – a lot of people don't take the time to, to learn where where is this person from? What is their exactly. background? What is the culture? What was their family dynamics like? So you watch a player and you go, man, that that player's amazing, or this player's good, or this is you know whatever. And to, and to me, the players that have reached a level that are beyond their peers, you know, in 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 Raheem Sterling is is in in no way, shape, form, or fashion anywhere near the level of Messi or Ronaldo. But he's no, a he no. is a he's he's an incredibly talented player, who who most teams in the Premier League would be clamoring to get if he was available and they could afford him, um, right? And so he 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 is a threat if he's on your team. There's no yeah. doubt about it, right? And right. and and you look at those players, even you know even and and I'm not at all. Uh, 
you know, putting him down, even at his level compared to Messi or Ronaldo, that's not – I'm not trying to put him down. What I'm saying is right. he is a difference-maker type player. A Zaha, right, stands out. You watch Crystal Palace play, they're, you're like, holy crap. I mean, that that right. guy can do amazing things with the ball. I mean, I thought when, when uh, Liverpool played uh, Crystal Palace at home uh, a couple yeah. months ago – and he he was he was like just torturing uh, them. I think James Milner was actually playing that day as right back, and he he might as well just been sitting on the bench because Zaha was just killing him. And Liverpool were able to to get the result in the end, but it, it, I, I fully expected to, to hear the rumors right after the match that Liverpool were going to go sign Zaha, <laughs> right? Because he right. he was just right, giving right. them all kinds of fits and problems. When you look at Zaha, you look at Sterling, you look at Messi, you look at Ronaldo, they all had some level of adversity in their in their past. Ronaldo had to leave home at, you know, 14. Messi, we all know his story, leaving Argentina at 13. Um, you, you talk about Sterling and his upbringing, Zaha, etc. What is it about that that bit of adversity that produces uh, th- this resilience to be able to reach a level where you are world-class or extremely dangerous on the field and, and able to do things. Uh, because, look, you watch these soccer players, these footballers in a, in a pregame or in training when there's no pressure, even like your center backs and others, a lot of these guys will do things with the ball and you're like, holy cow, they're amazing um, but then when you get on the field, the lights turn on, you don't see any of it. But you'll see Sterling, you'll see Zaha, that doesn't phase them. It doesn't phase a Messi or a Ronaldo. If anything, when Sterling sees the bright lights, he wants to go go harder. He wants to go faster at you. He wants to break you down. He wants to take it at you. Um, and he, he's not shying away. So what is it about that adversity that helps produce a world-class baller? In the current system, we're like, okay, this sport or this thing that's going to help us get out of the situation that we're in. So we grasp onto it and don't let go. So, like, there's actually a story I'm going to tell you of a kid. Um, somebody told me about a kid in South America that I need to go and see. This kid is exactly around 10 to 12 years old, 10, 11, 12 years old. And he plays. Yeah, look. Yeah, so the kid, the kid um, is in South America, and um, he plays three to four times a day just to make enough money for home. He's his dad is a drug dealer, and his mom uh, takes drugs, or she's just recovering drug drug addict. And the kid is between ten to twelve, and they say he's he's lights out, the best player in that country at his age. So that is <laughs> so that little thing because he knows that playing ball will provide food and uh, electricity for his home and for his mom to live with him and make food for him to eat, to be able to survive. So that sport, grasping onto that sport and not letting go is what brings them out of the um, dust, if that makes sense. Completely makes sense. And and I think that, that we too often, you know, gloss over that fact that adversity is is helping shape excellence it's 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 just like a diamond pressure creates a diamond without that pressure you'll never get a diamond 
and adversity uh, is one of those things that the elements that influence on your life that helps create uh, excellence. It helps create that diamond of a player. Um, so when you look at when you look at these guys who who are now flourishing in the Premier League, uh, m- most of them have stayed in the Premier League. Um, you know, I, I guess probably the, the main English player that's that's young that's left recently that's had success is Jaden Sancho that went to Dortmund. Um, yeah. But most of them have actually stayed in the Premier League. What uh, what is it about them that has allowed them to stay true to their culture and yet thrive in what many consider to be the the most intense league in the world um the young the support around them and the more the more younger coaches that you have in the academies nowadays so the younger coaches nowadays in academy in um in england are thinking more on a global uh scale for example they're growing up watching pep's um pep's barcelona uh, watching Thomas Tuchel's Dortmund and stuff like that, and now they're teaching that to the kids. So now the kids have a more wider range. So back in the, in the past, we were just narrow-minded and just like Premiership is that or end or be all, right? But now these coaches who came up watching those teams and coaches are now trying to educate those younger players, saying, "Look, think beyond what we're te- um, you're being taught here. Think beyond that. Watch international games. Watch games in France." watch games from Belgium, Holland, um, Italy. And now that's expanding their mindset, um, increasing their skill set as well at the same time. So I want to I wanna, uh, go back to your childhood and yeah. to the childhood of Sterling, the childhood of so many of these Zaha and others who, who grew up they, they, from that culture, the urban context, um, the things that we, you know, we've kind of been talking about and, and tell me what it's like when you're out on the, out on the court or, uh, as we saw video evidence the other day, when you're in a soccer facility and a kid comes up to you like Jack and nutmegs you, what is, <laughs> what is the clowning like, you know, and his dad's got video proof, so there's no denying it now. Um, uh, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Jack is a very humble kid because, you know, back in the days, if that happened, you would just clown. You'll be clowned until you do it to them. So I'm so lucky. Jack is a humble kid, very talented kid. But um, uh, I'm I'm just trying to erase that from my memory. (laughs) I told I told James, his dad, that I was going to ask you about this because um, I, I do think, though, it's it's relevant because. Too much in today's uh, American soccer culture is is about you know nice, soft. You know we you know we, we can't clown other people. We can't taunt other people. And and I look, I get it. There there is there is a certain level of healthy discourse, and I I totally understand. I'm not I'm not saying go around and 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 be a donkey to people, etc. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about the kids right. themselves, right? Like the players that you see thriving at the highest levels, 
and and let's take it out of soccer for a second. Let's go back to basketball. You look at those kids in American American uh, sport that are playing basketball are growing up playing on the playground, and they might be soccer players, they might be American football players, they may be baseball players, but when they get on the basketball court, there there is this trash talk that goes on, and it is part of the culture, and it and it you know it, you may not be getting nutmeg like in, in soccer. And, and feeling humi- humiliated, it may be getting dunked on or something else. But that culture breeds players. It develops players to have mental toughness. Like, y- you're not going to allow adversity to tear you down. You're, you're, going to, you're either going to, to stand up to it, you're going to rise up to it or, or beyond it, or you're not going to be there. You're going to go away, right? right? It's, it, you're not going right. to just sit there and be a – you know, a softy or a pansy or, you know, somebody that's just unable to deal with conflict. So that culture of growing up every day out on the street and, and a Jack comes up to you with a ball and, and puts a ball to your legs. What is the visceral response? I mean, I I know you said like the only way to, to, to kind of end that is to get them back but what does that really do to you emotionally? Like, are you, are you uh, humiliated? You're frustrated. You want to get them back. Like, is it, does it create aggression? What, what, what is the emotional mindset in those moments on the streets when you get clowned and you, you got to get self-respect back by doing something to get it back? What, what, did it, what is that process in that moment? Like as a player there on the streets? So, yeah. So actually, when I was 17 and we, we always uh, picked teams in our neighborhood to play, there was this one kid, we, we didn't really want him playing because he was whack. We, we just put him to the side, right? Um, every single time, every single time. But he'll sit there, he'll sit there, he'll watch, he'll watch. Um, every single time he'll come back again, we're like, nah, 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 you ain't playing, you ain't playing, nah, nah, nah. When I, I went away for a year, I came back and um, I saw the kid again and he was lights out the best player on and everybody wanted him on our team. He just went home, took his ball, and just trained. Played. He, he, he kicked the ball against the wall. We have a wall outside our house. He was kicking the ball against the wall every day, my, my friends were telling me. Every day, every day, every day after school, before school, after school, before school, just to try and play. And just in our neighborhood, like, this is not even a team. Just in our neighborhood. He wanted to play with us so badly because we clowned him. We told him, nah, you're not playing with us. You're not playing with us. He didn't go home and start crying. Um, gave mom out to come and tell us he has to play with us. No, he just put his head down, went home with his ball and trained. So that mentality builds self-responsibility um, and saying, look, all right, I want to play with those guys. Oh, I want to try and nutmeg him. Let me let me go back home, work him up, like just work on something and come back and try, try it out again and try nutmeg that player. You be clown and you're like, you know what? All right, cool. All right, you got you got this moment. Now I'm gonna try and get my moment back. That's how we look at it. We don't we don't go home, start crying and saying, "Oh, they're still being mean to me." Whatever. No, it's like you had your moment. It's now time for my moment. So that's 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 the mentality we have um, growing up in that those neighborhoods. There's no whining. No, there's no such thing as whining. We just get on with it. I love what you just said there. If if there is one take takeaway from the show today. Um, that to me is it. You had your moment. Now I'm going to go get my moment. If players had that mentality, man, that would that would make such a difference for uh, American soccer 
specifically, but ballers around the world, players around the world. You have your moment, but I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my moment. I'm not going to allow you to have the last word or to outshine me in the end. You may have won this battle, but I'm going to win the war. That that exactly. that that kind of mentality, man. That is so good. So I I want to I want to I want to ask you as somebody who has coached, you've developed players from all backgrounds, affluent, middle class. You you work with players that have very little to their name. You've seen it all. You've seen all these different cultures. You've been in America for a while, and and you've worked in all those different environments and contexts. If you are in an environment where things are easy, you 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 don't lack for food on the table, you don't have some of the natural adversity uh, and and in opportunity in terms of being out in a cul-de-sac on the streets every day, having to toughen yourself up, etc. Um, how does a player who is from that what I would call a safe environment where they lack for nothing how can they develop into a player that has that mentality of you got yours but i'm going to get mine how do they develop into a player that has resiliency and 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 and, you know as we talked about adversity as is what has shaped our best players in in pretty much every sport for the most part now there's always exceptions to that rule but you you see that the best players they, they've dealt with with some kind of adversity and overcoming that is what allowed them to reach that status of you know world class or a baller or, or etc so if you're a player from a safe area where you don't have that kind of adversity like that kid you were you were referring to from South America who's having to play to put food on the table because it's you know of of the family environment how do you get there is it possible what do you have to do to try to create that so that you can develop into a world class player well first make them understand that they they're competing with those type of players if they want to become pro so now look you're competing with this kid who has to play three, four days a week, um, uh, four times a day to provide food and light, electricity to his family. So how hungry is he going to be? How hungry are you going to be? Right? Now, then tell them, look, it's on to you and it's up to you to try and achieve the greatest, try and achieve as much as possible with the resources that you have. You have so much resources and support. Use it to your advantage. Um, try try as much as possible to expose those kids to those environments in the sense of during um, take them to those environments when they're playing. Try have them play in those in- cultures with those cultures. Make them understand those cultures. Make them understand those environments. Why those kids live in those environments. Open their eyes to these things. Don't show them from it. I'm not saying take the kids and go live in those environments. No, just whenever those kids are playing, have them play over there. Let them let them figure it out. Don't don't stand there and watch over them. Just Put them there, let them play. If they get into arguments, they get into arguments. That's part of life. Uh, let them try and experience that culture. Um, because you can't you can't say a kid from the safe neighborhood cannot make it. They can. It's just their upbringing, the, the way the parents talk to them, their mentors, if they have any, um, 
preaching to them about these cultures, exposing them to the, these cultures. So exposure would be kind of your your answer, yeah. your key. Yeah. And I agree with yeah. that. I, I completely agree with that. I've, I've seen that in my own life uh, that, that, you know, you have to seek it out, you know, when, yeah. when whenever you are, um, you know, looking at opportunities to develop, you know, your kids and see your kids develop it. it it's something that if it's not natural and by natural, I mean, just part of your organic everyday life. Um, you, you have to be intentional. You have to seek it out. You have to find those moments, find those opportunities, um, you know, and, and take your kids into places that maybe they're, they're uncomfortable in the beginning. They're not used to, maybe they don't speak the same language that you speak and, and you, you don't worry about it. It's, it's still the same game. And, and you get out there and you play and you figure it out, um, you know, and if you have the ability to, to take, you know, take a trip overseas or go to a different culture or go to a different part of the country, do that. And, and obviously, you know, uh, others would love to do that. And if you have the ability to do it, do it, but seek it out, be intentional and, and don't shy away from it. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a great way to put it, a great way to, to think about it as well. So, look, your background, your uh, experience in, in seeing players, developing players, etc. If you were, if you were um, able to be king of American soccer for a day, as we kind of come here to a close, you, you have a day, you can do whatever you want to, to change, improve uh, U.S. soccer. What would you do with your, your day in charge? I'll figure out how to get players from neighborhoods like Laredo, Texas, Oakland, California, Detroit, Southeast DC, Southside Chicago, how to get those players playing, um, how to get those coaches playing, how to get those coaches involved in the game, how to get them funded, uh, fully funded teams, how to get those neighborhoods pro teams that can move up the pyramid because that's that's what they need to see. For example, if, if you had a pro team in Laredo, Texas, that could move, there is a pro team in Laredo, Texas. If they could move up the um, pyramid, the kids in that neighborhood will idolize those players, will idolize that team, will follow that team, support that team, and want to be on that team, be part of their academy. And um, that will change a lot of dynamics in this country. Well, you nailed it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't expect you to do anything other than to nail it. Um, it was. Uh, it was great having you on the show and and sharing your insight, kind of peeling the curtain back a little bit on um, what it means to be a baller culture, um, and and where that resilience comes from. And uh, I, I still think the takeaway is you had your moment. I'm going to get mine. Uh, that mentality is is so so critical to be in a, a world-class player um it, it that was really really good advice so thanks for coming on the show james how can people uh stay in touch with you and follow what you're doing and your work with smi uh, you can see me on um, twitter and instagram coach james myers and all right and um with smi how can they uh get in touch with smi uh i'll go my email is james.myers at smi.com Fantastic. 
if uh, if you're a player out there and you want to look for opportunities to 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 get evaluated, scout it uh, overseas in Europe, etc., uh, reach out to James um, and uh, see if you can uh, find a way into to one of their upcoming uh, scouting trips. They they have seen players placed at clubs all over Europe, and they're continuing to do incredible work. So, thanks for coming on the show, man, and I uh, really appreciate you uh, spending some time uh, hanging out with us. Thanks for having me, and keep keep doing great things with your show, man. Appreciate it, dude. All right, that is James Myers Antier. He uh, is uh, a scout. He's a coach. Um, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a guy worth knowing, um, and uh, you know. If you uh, if you get a chance to go on one of their trips, like I said, you should do it. Um, it it's great exposure, and uh, you never know what that opportunity can mean for your career. So, uh, thanks for tuning into the show today. Thanks for um, as always following along and, and reaching out. Uh, appreciate it. You can uh, find me at Twitter and Instagram at Daniel Workman. Um, hit me up Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. Um, as well and, and um, always DanielWorkman.com so thanks for tuning in we look forward to uh, going back into the GCPL world tomorrow and Friday uh, as we uh, chat tomorrow with uh, Abram Chamberlain the president of AFC Mobile and then again on Friday with Tallahassee the newest member of the Gulf Coast Premier League so thanks for uh, tuning into the show we will see everyone tomorrow tomorrow